And Lord, as we come to opening your word in this service, hearing from Almighty God, not through the words of someone up front here, but through your word, make your word alive in us each, we pray. Lord, we're all at different places in our walk before you. Meet us where we are. And may we know that we've met with Almighty God. And may you give us direction for this week ahead, we pray. And the strength to obey you. Help us now, Lord. Take our human minds and open them with your divine guidance as your Spirit leads us now. So that we can go in this week and honor Jesus Christ and so you, Almighty God. Amen. Well, let's uh, open God's Word and read together. Before we get to Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verses 12 to 17, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. I've been working through the book of Acts and Romans this weekend. Fantastic just to have God's word pouring into your life, right? To be encouraged by it and to see it come alive. And so I'd really urge you to do that. If you've never read through the book of Romans, get a, book, get a translation or a version, rather, like the New Living Translation, and just read it through in one sitting. It will take you about an hour and a half. But read it through in one sitting and just see the encouragement you get from it. And the challenge, but the encouragement of following Paul's argument as he talks about how great God was to his people and how great he still is to you and I, his faithfulness. And it has much relevance to what we're going to be doing today. So I'm reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There's the framework around this passage this morning of Hebrews chapter 12. God and his great love for us has made a way so that when we go through hard times, He is there for us. And that gives us great joy and endurance. So now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 to 17. And it's the second part of a sermon we started last week. What are those things that the Lord puts before us so that we can walk in holiness when we are going through the hard times in life? 
That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, is endurance during hard times. How do we do that? Who do we look to? Let's read these verses together again. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So the question I started with last week was, are you tired? Are you tired of the Christian walk? Are you tired of walking the Christian walk? And we saw that the antidote is, This antidote to the weariness of the soul and to those who are faint-hearted is to consider Christ. To fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We saw that. And then verses 12 to 17 exhorts us to live holy lives. To live what we know. In other words, to put the truth that we know into our daily walk. How do we do that? And we saw that there were three commands And we did the first of those last week. There are three commands. There are three encouragements given to us. First was to continue in our holiness. In other words, it's talking about perseverance. Continue in your holiness. Second one was to be diligent. And we're going to look at that today. And also to be vigilant. So those are the three commands given us so that we would walk holy lives before the Lord. See, it's not just this airy-fairy thing about, oh, you must be a good Christian. The Lord actually gives us practical advice on how we are to walk our daily lives. So we saw last week, verses 12 to 13, he, He said to us, continue in holiness. Lift those drooping arms. Strengthen those weak knees. How do we do that? By fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, firstly. Who's He? The author, the one who started... And the perfecter of our faith, the one who will make us perfect. So fix our eyes on him again. If your arms are feeling weak, if your knees are feeling out of joint, put your eyes back on Jesus Christ because they are off him. And secondly, we saw give encouragement to someone else. The surest way to be encouraged and strengthened in our own weakness is to give encouragement and to help strengthen someone else. And I really enjoyed the time of prayer last week. It was like a battery boost for myself. And then we saw too, the third part of that, make straight paths for your feet. So practical. Proverbs 4.25 said, Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. God will do that. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. 
And I can't go into all that. We did that last week. And then thirdly we saw, fourthly we saw, that lame limbs are to be healed. You see, we shouldn't settle for second best in this Christian life. We shouldn't allow ourselves to get on with Christian life and just go through life with knees out of joint, filled with pain our whole lives. It doesn't have to be like that. We can come to Christ Jesus and be healed. And our limbs can be put back into joint so that we can walk the walk and run the race with full strength. Christ does that. Don't settle for second best and live with the pain. Be strengthened, but be healed. And how do you do that? Commit yourself again fully to Christ. So that was all under this command of continue in holiness. Today we come to verse 14, and I want to read it. It says this, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He's saying to us, be diligent in your holiness. You see, this verse is not teaching about us about salvation by works. It's not saying the harder you work at your holiness, the more holy you will be. Why do we know that? We know that because we know that only Christ can save us. And only Christ can take our imperfect work of holiness and make it perfect before him. We can only be saved through Christ's perfect work of saving us from death to life. I can't try and live a good life and think I'll be saved in the end. Unless Christ has saved me, I remain lost. Please hear me today. It's not through your works that you're saved. It is through the work of Christ only that you are saved. But this verse is speaking about practical holiness. What do I mean? It's how we live before God and men. There's a horizontal dimension and a vertical dimension. How do I live before other people in holiness? And how do I live before God in holiness? And yes, it is a how. But it can't save you. It teaches you how to live before God in Deo, Before the face of God. How do I act and live every day and be holy? He gives us a clue there in the first two words of verse 14. He says, strive for peace. Strive for peace with all men. What does that mean? The literal translation there is pursue, which means track down and then chase after. I've been following this, uh, the war in the Ukraine quite closely. Because it's dear to my heart. It's the freedom of mankind that's in picture there. And as you see those missiles blasting off, they don't just blast and hope they're going to hit something. They lock on to a target, and then the rocket goes to where that pinpoint has been located. This word means strive for. It means lock on to track down and then chase after certain things. What are we supposed to chase after and to lock on to? Two things, according to verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification. So how do we pursue peace with all men? We've got to start in the right place. 
If you haven't got peace with God, how are you going to give peace? How are you going to have peace with men? We've got to start off with peace with God. And because you and I are believers, we already are at peace with God. And therefore, we are to be peacemakers. We start from where we are and live it out. Peace has been given to us. Now be peacemakers. You see, the world tries it the other way around. And they've got the United Nations and all these big organizations. And they're trying to get peace between people. But their hearts are wrong. So it's going to fail in the end. It's good that they're trying, right? But it's set up for failure. Because the heart of a human being is evil at its very core. It's always going to default to evil and me, myself, and what I want. We see that very aptly illustrated now in what's happening in the world. The Lord says, pursue peace with all men because you are already at peace with God. Now be peacemakers. Because you are already counted righteous, now live righteous lives. Start at the right place. And then it says, our practice should match our position. In Christ. If you're at peace with Christ, now walk that peace. If you love Jesus Christ and He has given you peace, show that peace to those around you, to our fellow men, our fellow human beings. Our practice should match our creed. You say you love Jesus, now show that you love Jesus. Why is that important? You see, it's very, very important because unbelievers watch us and vacillating Christians watch us. Christians who are up and down and weak watch us. And when they see an example of someone who isn't practicing what they preach, you become irrelevant. And to a non-Christian, if you're not practicing what you say we should be standing up for, Living, loving Christ and living out our uh, love to our fellow man and peace towards fellow men. When they look at our lives and they don't see that in our lives, what does it say to them? The gospel's irrelevant. He's no different to me. The Bible says to you and I this morning, we have an obligation to live at peace with others, whether or not they treat us peaceably. This is the one that really cuts across us sometimes, right? Because we're so reactive as human beings. If infringe my rights, I'm going to stand on it. We're very quick like that, aren't we? Someone cuts in front of you in the traffic, what do you want to do? Well, not all of you. Stand on my rights. And we don't live out the peace towards mankind in practical ways like that. The book of James speaks about that. James chapter 3, verses 18 to, uh, 17 and 18. Just listen to what it says. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who... Who make peace. There's a practical application of it. Your peace will have an influence around you. If you are at peace with Jesus Christ. 
Scripture says to you and I this morning, show that peace to those around you. But it's not peace at all costs, by the way. There are parameters around which we are to show peace. There are other times when we can't show peace. We've got to stand for righteousness. Just make sure that it's righteousness and not your own wants and needs. Because we can really get those mixed up too. When Jesus stood up in the temple and he threw those money lenders out, he was standing up for righteousness. My house shall be a house of prayer and you have turned into a den of thieves. And he chased them out. That wasn't peaceable. He stood up for what was right. And today, as believers, we must make sure that the causes we get in behind are righteous ones and not our own selfish ones. Don't get influenced by, by media. They so quickly influence us so that we get in behind these causes when it's all about a human-driven thing. It's not about a righteous cause. But there are righteous causes that we must get behind. The unborn and the rights of the unborn. Euthanasia. The whole wokeism that's around now. Cancel culture. The whole rainbow agenda. We must make sure that what we're doing is right before God. And go for those things. Get behind them. But otherwise, be at peace with mankind. The second thing he says is the vertical relationship. That verse says to us, pursue sanctification. In other words, it says, pursue to be made like Christ. That's what the word sanctification means. To be made like Christ. The process of being made like Christ. And that's describing how we live before a loving God through our obedient, set-apart lifestyles. He says we are to pursue, chase after, wanting to be like Christ. I don't know, when, when you get up in the morning, is that the first goal on your mind? Mine's coffee. Is the first goal in, in your life every day is, I want to be more like Christ today. Lord, show me. Show me. You see the standard Scripture's calling us to? That's the true goal. That's the true riches that we are to seek after, as the old hymn says that I've modernized. Riches I chase not, nor man's empty praise. You, my inheritance, now and always. So if you and I say that we love Christ and we want to be like him, but don't live like him, we don't love him like we should, then there's a disconnect. We say we love him, we don't live like that. There's a disconnect. Don't make your peace with a disconnect, my friend. Go and look at the cause. Why is there a disconnect between what I say and how I walk in life? You must get to that. It's crucial because something's not right. We need to examine our hearts and make sure that we've really been saved. Because if we are truly saved, our heart's desire will be to be like Christ. Don't make your peace with a disconnect. There's much more to be said here under this topic, but I want to move on to the third one, and that's to be vigilant in our holiness and that's verses 15 to 17 verses 15 to 17 says this see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God firstly secondly that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many, many become defiled 
Thirdly, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. What's this all about? We are to pursue holiness, we are to continue in our holiness, and we are to be vigilant in our holiness. And the clue is in the first three little words. It says, see to it. Now, the Greek original is the word episkopeo, which we get our word episkopos from, which means to be an elder, to have oversight. Interesting. He says here, see to it that you are vigilant in your holiness. How do the two marry up? To be an overseer. You see, what he's saying is we are to have an oversight over our holiness, but also, now hear me please, the holiness of those around us. Uh Uh-huh, you say, at last, I can tell Johnny what I always wanted to say. No, 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 no. The word here says, have an oversight over your own holiness first. And then, with your arms around your brothers and sisters... Because remember, we're in Hebrews now. Have an oversight over their lives. That's a humble oversight. That's an oversight that first sees the log in my own eye. And then the little splinter in theirs. But there's a mutual responsibility here that's spoken of in this text. It says, be vigilant. See to it that you look after each other. You see, it's not done in a spirit of judgment, but rather one of mutual weakness and mutual support. It's done in a spirit of we're all in this race together, and we're going to make it together. Because Christ has told us to. And so we are to be vigilant over each other. Now this word vigilant has a military tone to it, because there's danger. We are to watch out, because there's danger around all of us. The word vigilance not just... She'll be right. The word vigilant is there's danger. Watch out. Otherwise, you're going to be injured. Look after each other. And we are to be vigilant for three things. Sorry, we are to have oversight over each other in three things. Otherwise, three things can go wrong. Firstly, verses 15 to 17 says what? says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Whoa. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Who's God talking to here? He's talking to the church, right? So how can we not obtain the grace of God? Well, there's two things here. The Lord has put amongst us as believers, unbelievers. Not everyone sitting here today is saved. There are still some who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And you might have fooled this church for 45 years, but your heart is still unsaved. He speaks to you this morning. He says, and sorry, he speaks to us as a church today. And he says, God has surrounded us by those who are yet unsaved, both in our church congregations and in our communities and families. And we are to live in such a way, and look after them in such a way that they don't fall short of the grace of God. The word fall short, the phrase is to come too late and then to be left out. So how can that happen? You see, it happens like this. 
If the unbeliever dies before coming to Jesus Christ, he or she will be lost forever. They'll be eternally short of the grace of God. And tragically, many people have spent their lives in church, but have never come to personal salvation in Christ. And you and I as believers are to see to it, episcopeo, that we are on the lookout for those among us who are unsaved, and that we take every opportunity we can to speak to them about their souls. We're not to nag them into the kingdom. We're to love them into the kingdom by continually talking about it. Sadly, many times we don't do this because we are afraid of offending them. Oh, but if I do that, they won't come to church anymore. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? We make people feel so Christian and at ease that they come under the illusion that they're okay. While they're falling short of God's grace. We can't force anyone to be saved, but we can constantly remind people of the, of the free grace available to them. And in conversations we have with them, let's talk about lovingly, talk about, I really love being with you, but man, it's on my heart. You still don't know Jesus Christ. What's stopping you, my friend? Let's talk through those things. And then he's speaking to the saved as well. He's saying, do you and I knowingly carry around with us known sin in our lives that we do nothing about? Because if we do, we're also going to fall short of the grace of God. You can't just carry on living with sin in your life and think, it doesn't matter. And there's a wider application in the church today. You can't carry on looking at your brother and sister who you know is openly sinning in their lives and do nothing about it. We've got a collective responsibility under this word, episcopeo, to look after each other, to make sure that no one falls short of God's grace. But there's a hard question that comes our way when we do that. What is that? And that is, do I allow other people to speak into my life? Or when they do, do I get on my little throat and say, that's it! No, we're going to be friends with them. I'm going to stop going to this church. And you find yourself falling short of the grace of God. I'd rather have someone speak painful words to me now. Than experience the pain of standing in front of Almighty God. And Him speaking to me about unconfessed sin. Before Him. Let's episcopeo each other. Let's allow each other to... Show God's grace to each other. Why? Because God's grace is enough for every sin and every situation. And we must help each other to live in His presence and awash with His grace. Let's help each other bathe in the grace of Jesus Christ. There's a second thing we have to watch out for, we have to be vigilant for, and that's to, pre to prevent bitterness. You see, He says in verse 15, if you don't watch out, the root of bitterness springs up. And here the main idea is of a heart turning away from God and starting to follow another God. How do I know that? Because Moses used the very same phrase 
when he spoke to the nation of Israel, and that's what he was warning them about. Deuteronomy chapter 29 says this. Deuteronomy 29 verses 18 to 19. Listen to what it says. Could be written for today. It says, Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you, here it is, a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who... When he hears the words of, his, of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. We lose out on the grace of God because we allow bitterness to come into us. You see, sometimes this refers to someone who's superficially identified with the body of Christ. You look at them and you think, yeah, they got a Wanganese Baptist. We know them. They've been coming here for years. But who is falling back into paganism in practicality? In other words, a believer who's allowing an idol to develop in their hearts and who is turning away from Jesus Christ to worship this idol. If we, do, if we allow sin to gain a foothold in us and to start to grow in us, it's like a cancer in us. Bitterness is established. And bitterness has fruit. What are some of those fruits? He mentions them here. He says trouble. Now you can think of that, whatever that might be. Trouble comes from bitterness. And the second thing that comes from bitterness, it, it affects everyone. It defiles all those involved. Think how church splits start. Think how unhappiness in families start. It's because the root of bitterness was allowed to grow, and it just brings trouble, and then it splits. It never gets better on its own. We've got to be vigilant for this root of bitterness. It starts in my personal life before the Lord. If I allow that bitterness to start growing in my life, it's going to affect everyone here after all. Everyone. It starts with me. Don't allow bitterness in us. Give it over to the grace of God. And then there's a third thing that we are to have episcopeo over. And that is, it says there in verses 16 to 17, we are to be vigilant against sexual immorality and unholiness. Now, the main phrase here is the unholiness. And the main thing in that is the, this impulsive self-gratification and sexual immorality is one of those examples. Because he uses the example of Esau. Esau is a perfect example of someone who gave into impulsive self-gratification. He had a whole blessing waiting for him that would come on him because he was an heir of his father. And one day when he came home hungry, he gave up that whole inheritance of blessing for a bowl of pottage, of stew. Yeah, I just want this. Just give it to me now. I need it now. I don't care what happens in the future. How does sexual gratification work? Same thing. I want to be pleased now. I don't care what happens later. And so families are affected. Wives are affected. Husbands are affected. Churches are affected. Self-gratification. Beware of sexual immorality, which is unholiness, says Scripture. And that has 
that cuts across all aspects of our lives. It's not just in the sexual area. It's in all aspects of our lives. We can become so greedy for things that that becomes all-absorbing. That becomes the idol in the heart. That's the thing which spreads out and has an effect on everyone too. There are many, many examples. We have to be vigilant against these things. But he's warning us as believers here too, we have to be vigilant to allowing the spiritual characteristic of impulsive self-gratification loose in our lives. Not leading a disciplined life before the Lord. Slapdash in our holiness. Today I'm alright, the next day I couldn't be bothered with Christianity and I'll just live life. People see us, they watch us, they don't see that in us. That discipline that should be there, the discipline that comes with holiness. And what happens? We become hard-hearted in our ways, and after a while we start rejecting God, and then we find no forgiveness, because we don't really want forgiveness. It starts with one small thing, and builds. And the question you and I need to ask ourselves as believers, what are you willing to live with in your life that you would give away your birthright in Christ for the pottage of something this world has to offer. What is it that you're willing to exchange for Jesus Christ? There'll be something in every single one of us that's always popping its little head. Right, what do we do with this? Very quickly, because we did most of it last week. Holiness is not an optional extra. It's a command. And though you might be feeling weak and jaded in life, holiness is not an optional extra. God says, be holy as I am holy. Secondly, straighten up and walk right. We're commanded to do this. Straighten up, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, and then watch your foot in every single day life. Don't turn aside to the left or the right, off the path. And when you get to evil, get rid of it. Ask the Lord to take it out of your life. Don't allow it to find a place in your life. It will become rockier and rockier. Not just to you, but to those who come after. Your children, those around you. You see, others are following. So we need to make a safe path for them. And then the last application this morning is this. The world is watching. They're watching. If they could see that my flag wasn't at half-mast last week, they're watching. They watch our lives with greater interest because they know us in our communities. If you're a believer, they will see that you're a believer. But how consistent is that walk? And when I hear that, I nearly become discouraged again. But I don't have to be. Why? Because it's in Christ that I can do these things. Without Him... I can't live like this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life. If we live lives which glorify the Lord, then we will not fall short of His grace in the end. And neither will those who are watching our lives. Because the Lord will use our lives to influence them. And they too may become followers of Christ. Let's pray for that. Amen.
Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we read in your word about these commands given to us, Lord, it nearly becomes too much. But then we know, Lord, that we're not on our own, that we walk the walk that you've put before us with you. We walk the walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We walk the walk with a cloud of witnesses which surrounds us who have walked their walk. And we all look to Jesus Christ and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that in you and through you, I can live a life which glorifies you, which is holy before you, which allows me to be covered by the grace that, avail that is available to me. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, help us in our weakness, we pray, to glorify you in every single thing we do, so that others may see and also come to know Jesus. Amen.